Welcome to Speaking Candidly with Candace, where we explore the mental, physical, and social impact of living with a mental health condition. I'm your host, Candace Schoner, and today I have the pleasure to be talking to Jiley Garth, thank you, Jiley, a woman who has overcome addiction, a prison sentence, and the loss of her right to vote. Jiley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to start by asking you to share a little bit about your self with our audience, where you grew up, and your professional background. Okay. Um, actually, my family, my father's family has been in Admiral County since the 1600s. So um, I um, have long history here. I was born here. Both my parents were born here. Um, I grew up uh, in Charlottesville. And then, um, we moved to a farm in 1980, um, out in Dyke, Virginia. And, uh, I grew up out there and went to St. Anne's Belfield school here in town. Um, then I went to Virginia tech and I got a degree in psychology. I got a BS in psychology, a minor in sociology and came back to Charlottesville and was unable to really, uh, really, find anything there was not a whole lot of jobs back in the early 90s and so I decided that uh, I'd always wanted to go into medicine and so I decided I was gonna go to nursing school so I enrolled at Piedmont um, in 94 and I became I uh, took my boards my RN boards in 96 and became an RN then and then worked here in town I worked um, at UVA hospital for a while um, in general medicine and in the heart center. And I also worked in long-term care for five years as a supervisor. Very and, impressive background. <laughs> well, thanks. but then things <laughs> seem to have fallen apart, which is why we're, yes. we're talking to you. Yes. You've overcome a lot of uh, obstacles in your life, as I mentioned in the intro, including overcoming addiction. So mm -hmm. when did you first become addicted and what was your preferred drug? Well, I really, st I started noticing problems, actually. Um, it's funny because in high school, I went to a school with uh, a, a lot of partiers and I was very much of a good girl back then. I was really straight and um, very studious and didn't engage in any type of, not a whole, I, not none, but n very little partying back then. But in college, I started, um, I would uh, drink um, to excess periodically. I would binge drink. And then, but I kept telling myself I didn't have a problem because I, you know, could go for months or weeks without drinking. And then in the mid nineties, right before I went to nursing school, I, um, I developed a problem with cocaine. And, but when I went to nursing school, I put that on the back burner. I was able to stop that. And, um, and soon after I became a nurse, I got married and then everything happened very quickly. I got my nursing license. I got married and I had a baby all within a year. Wow. And so, and then about six months when my son was about six months old, my husband at the time was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Mm. And, um, that is what sent me, um, into the full blown addiction. And, my drug of choice became at that time was opioids. And so I began diverting narcotics from work in order to, um, to supply myself with drugs. And I did that for many years while I was working. And uh, how, how many, how many yeah. years were you able to do that? And I know uh, that you're, you were charged with felony for prescription mm -hmm. fraud. Yes. So 
kind of share that if you don't mind? Sure. Um, I actually, I did, I used on the, on the job. I mean, I hate saying that, but I did, I used on the job on and off periodically for about four and a half, five years. And then the board intervened and sent me to rehab. Okay. And then I, and then I came out and was, you know, didn't practice for a while. And then when I went back to work, I worked for a little while and then I started using again. And so what eventually happened is, so this, that happened in 1999, the very first time I went to rehab, I've been to rehab five times. So, um, so then, um, when they let me go back to work back in, I, um, I actually did not technically have a license at the time. So, so not only, um, was, and I started using again, I was on probation because I got a prescription fraud charge because I couldn't, I didn't have access to drugs. So I, I started buying pills on the street. And and that's oftentimes what happens to people like me who start off with either with a legitimate prescription or somebody like a medical professional who takes from work. When your supply runs out, you turn to the streets and you either try to find, you know, street drugs like heroin or you try to find pills and um, and bad or good. I mean, you know, it's um, they are available in this area and a lot of people don't realize, you know, how prevalent it is in this area, but they are. And so, um, so I got a prescription fraud charge in 2002 and I went back to work in 2003, um, because it takes so long for the board to catch up with, with your charges that technically when I started my job, I actually had, uh, I still had a license. And while I was working there, I got, you know, um, a letter saying that I no longer could practice, but I continued practicing illegally. And so, and then I overdosed while I was working on the job. I overdosed. Oh my God. Yeah. I overdosed on fentanyl, um, here in town. And, um, so, and they took me straight from the hospital to the jail. So, so, um, so that was, these are the really, those were the really bad times. Those, I went in and out of rehab and in and out of jail from 2002 until 2006. What so. do you, what do you think was the, the turning point? Was it going to jail? Was it overdosing? Was it? No. (laughs) Um, You mean turning point for me getting clean? Yes. Yes, exactly. You know, it's so, Candy, it's really, really difficult. So many people have asked me that because I was such a disaster for so many years and I'd be good for a a matter of months and then go back to it each and every time. And in 2015 is when I finally got clean. And I, I think it was... I mean, it was a culmination of a bunch of different things, but I, at that point I had been at the methadone clinic at the time for seven years. So I had, uh, you know, I was now on methadone, but I continued to do smoke crack and shoot cocaine at while I was at the clinic and stuff. So I still had a terrible problem with drugs. And I, and what happened was I got pulled over for driving on a suspended license and when they put, when they sent me to jail for 30 days, I finally said, I've got to be done with this. This, it was my opportunity to get off of methadone, to get off of everything, to be away from the drugs for 30 days straight. And I said, this is my chance. This is my, and I feel, I felt like at that time that if I didn't do it, then I would never do it, that I would die addicted to drugs. And so, and that, so I took that opportunity. I took that 30 days 
and sat in that jail sick as a dog and continued to be sick for many more months after that. And, and that's how I did it. I, you know, I don't know why exactly it happened that way, but that's how it happened. So, so a lot of questions come to mind. Um, Mm -hmm. And you said you were really sick for the month and then months afterwards, Mm -hmm. why you were in jail? Did they help wean you off or is it cold turkey? No, no, they don't know jails. Jails and prisons used to do that many years ago. They don't do that anymore. So you get nothing. If you if you want Tylenol, you have to get it off of the canteen or the commissary. Uh, you know, they don't provide you with anything. <laughs> so so you're really sick. I mean, you're vomiting. You have diarrhea. You you know, you are shaking. You you know, it's it's bad. I mean, you're sweating, you're sneezing, all the things that come with opioid withdrawal. Um, and I also had a problem with cocaine. So I had, you know, I couldn't, I mean, I didn't sleep for, you know, uh, maybe an hour a night for a couple months. Did you ever consider harming yourself other than the overdose, which I expect was accidental? It was, um, yes, there was, I didn't, I was never actively, I never intended to harm myself on purpose but there were many many times through all that using where I wished I would die you know that I would do so many drugs I would mix so many things together that I would pray that I just wouldn't wake up that happened many many times the only reason the thing that kept me alive for all those years was my son um I I couldn't I couldn't actively ever harm myself on I could never do it on purpose because I had my son and I I couldn't do that to him I'm glad that you went there because that's one of my questions was who helped you the most and um what were your family you said your your husband had cancer and Mm -hmm. and we haven't discussed whether he's Mm -hmm. still in your life or he is okay he's still alive (laughs) amazing but he is yes and you're still together? No, we're not together, but we're very close friends. He lives in Texas and he's a miracle. I mean, he's lived 20 years. They gave him six years to live and he's lived 20. So, well, that's, that's good news. Good yes. story. Yes. Um, and your son, what is he doing now? My son, he? my son lives here in Charlottesville. He lives with my mother. Um, he was with me, you know, through most of this, actually. Um, even after I got divorced, my ex-husband and I got divorced. He was with me. Um, I had to move in with my parents because I was, you know, uh, using on and off during that period of time. So I I occasionally had jobs, sometimes had jobs, sometimes didn't. So, you know, I I wasn't financially able to to care for him the way I wanted to. So we lived with my parents for many years and um, he's doing really well. He um, goes to Piedmont full time and, um, you know, he works in the area and he and I are extremely close. Um, We have a really good relationship now. It was dicey for a while. Um, You know, the thing about kids is um, they're very forgiving. And, uh, you know, I'm really lucky because I have a lot of family in the area. My family has been very supportive. Um, uh, My my mom and dad, my dad's gone now, but my parents, um, my father lived to see me get clean, thank goodness. And um, but my mom and, you know, and my sister. Uh, my brother-in-law, you know, I have a lot of people in the area and a ton of friends who have been supportive. Now I've lost people along the way as well as due to my addiction and due to my behavior. But, um, but I'm very lucky to have the kind of support I still have after everything that happened. So, well, and with an addiction, did you, with the addiction that you had when you're taking the drugs or drinking the alcohol, 
Did you do it in private? Um, well, that's interesting because it started off very publicly. Um, I, when I was back in the nineties, when I was a heavy drinker and did a lot of cocaine, I did it very publicly. Um, it was kind of known around town. I mean, I was known around town as partier, heavy drinker, heavy, you know, drank, did a lot of Coke and all that. But, um, when the addiction, and this happens to a lot of addicts, when the addiction gets darker and darker and your addiction gets worse and worse and worse, you get more and more private. I mean, in the end, when I was shooting cocaine, I couldn't leave my bedroom. I couldn't leave my bathroom most of the time. I would hide in my bathroom, um, you know, paranoid that the police were coming. So this, that's how it gets. I mean, I, I barely left my house. I didn't see my son for weeks back then, you know, when I was, those last five years were really dark. Um, you know, I didn't, my um, ex-boyfriend and I that I was with at the time, we lived together and all we did was drugs. We were extremely toxic and, you know, I barely worked. We barely were hanging on. Um, and, uh, and thankfully when, um, we broke up is that was another thing that kind of moved me forward is as long as we were going to be together, it was never, I was never going to get clean. We just, you know, we're terrible for each other. So, so anyway, that was another thing that happened about a month prior to me going to jail was um, our breakup. And so that was another catalyst that kind of moved me in the right direction. So. Did you ever seek talk therapy or psychology or uh, oh, psychiatry? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I had, I had a psychiatrist that I saw in Roanoke for years. I had, because that's the first treatment center I went to was in Roanoke. I saw a psychiatrist down there every month for a couple of years. I had, I've had two or three therapists here in Charlottesville. I go to group therapy now. <laughs> I, um, I've had many counselors, many therapists and, um, done a, a lot of talk therapy yes and of course I do meetings as well I you know I do 12-step meetings so I was gonna um, ask that yes I do I'm, we're not technically according to the traditions we're not supposed to promote you know um certain 12-step meetings but right. yes I do right. meetings and um I go to them regularly I have a sponsor I have sponsees and all that so I'm very involved in the recovery community that was another thing that was very different because I've I was going to meetings 20 years ago and it just, uh, it didn't work. And the reason it didn't work was because I didn't put anything into it. It was, it wasn't the program that didn't work. It was me. And so, um, and that was another thing that was very different this time. I had to fully invest into, in my recovery. Um, I had to dive in full, you know, you know, both feet and, and make, recovery my life for the first two years of my recovery. I mean, the first two years I was clean. I went every day to meetings. I was in a halfway house for 18 months. Um, you know, I, everything I did, um, including work. I mean, even the, my, the kind of work I did and stuff, I worked for people in recovery at the time, the kind of jobs I had, I worked for other addicts and stuff in recovery. So everything was related to that for a long time. And that was, and that's what saved me, honestly. Well, I'm going to go back to the, the prison sentence and it was 30 days. Mm -hmm. um, and you obviously tried recovery and therapy before that. Mm -hmm. Did that have any impact on your decision other than that you had gone through the whole being sick and um, getting it out of your system, so to speak? Right. Well, actually, I've been I've been I, I never did actual prison. I did jail, but I've actually been jail in jail a total of two years. That was, that was only the last time I went to jail. I've been to jail. 
um, like a total of 18 different times. Candy. Wow. A bunch. I, I went to jail. The longest period of time I went was eight months, but I've been many, many times. And it started back in 2003. And, um, and, and I, the, the longest, the longer period of time were from 2003 to 2006. I was in jail more. I was in jail more often than I was out than I had freedom in those four years. I was in jail more than, so, um, it did have an, it had an effect, but it didn't have the effect that people want. It had, I, one of the, how I learned to actually, um, use the particular drug I overdosed on. I learned that in jail. That's how I learned uh, how to do that. That's why I overdosed is because wow. I, learned, yeah, I learned how to extract a drug from a, um, I mean, I won't go into any detail, but it, I learned how to extract a drug into a needle that normally is not meant for that. And that's how I overdosed. Um, so, and that I got from somebody else in jail. So, and I hate to say it, but, uh, just like a lot of people think, I mean, going to jail just makes you a better criminal. It is not helpful at all. It is not a deterrent. Um, not for me. I mean, it may be for some other people, but not for me at all. It just made me angry and pissed off and hated everybody, hated the system. And of course the anger was, should have been directed at myself because I put myself there. But the fact is, is that jail just is, is not one of those things that people like me addicts and 85% of the women that I was in jail with, they were in jail either directly or indirectly um, related to drug addiction. Um, very few people were in there for, um, you know, crimes like murder or rape or, uh, you know, even the men. I mean, that that's just not what, at least in this, in the Charlottesville, Admiral County jail, that's what people are in there. They're, for, they're addicts and, you know, they steal, they prostitute themselves, they write bad checks, you know, they, um, concealment of merchandise, they, you know, they, they don't have licenses. They have DUIs. I mean, a million different charges, but they all mean the same thing. It means drug addiction and alcoholism. Um, and well, so, sorry, as a result, though, you lost your driver's license and you lost your right to vote. Yes, correct. correct? I, and yes, you lost your career. Correct. Yes. So how yes. did you navigate all that? And I know that recently you you did get your right to vote mm -hmm. back, which is why you know we're doing your story now. So tell me about that. Well. I, um, years ago when I first, when I went back to, uh, I mean, all those periods of time I was going back to jail, I was on probation. My probation officers, you know, were, you know, um, I was in touch with them and I was, you know, talking to them about my future and all that. And they all said the same thing as did my attorney, as did the prosecuting attorney. They all said, you need to find a new career. You need to find, if you get clean, you still need to find something else to do with your life because you're not going to work as a nurse again. You're not going to have your rights back. Um, you know, I didn't drive for 10 years because I didn't have a license. Um, I wasn't able to pay any of the court fines or, or the fees or DMV or any of that um, to get any of that back. And so I knew that the chances of me giving, getting any of those things back weren't going to be possible until I got clean. But even after I got clean, I focused on being clean first and recovery first. And after about a year and a half, I guess, I started um, thinking about, um, you know, getting my rights back and thinking about my nursing license. And even though everybody said it wasn't going to happen, I, I decided that I was going to try anyway. And so that's what I did. So about 18 months in, 
I applied for both around the same time and, um, and got word, uh, I think I had just moved out of the halfway house, excuse me, into, um, Ivy where I live now. And that's where I was, um, I got notice from the, uh, from the governor that I had received my rights back. And, um, so that was about three years ago. And the reason that I posted on Facebook, like I did recently, was because this was this recent election was the first one where I, I, I did I did vote in the presidential election uh, last year. But the, this recent election was the one where I but that was mail in. And I felt like this was it felt like I was really back that this was I felt like a citizen again. I felt like a real human being again, that I was involved again in politics and like it, like I had been many years ago. And so um, so that was it was just a really a a really strong feeling of gratitude for it was kind of one of the last pieces in my life's puzzle of getting myself back basically is, is what it was. Well, I say, I say good for you and that uh, you have come certainly a long way. Did you get your nursing license back or are you practicing nursing? I am practicing right now. I've been practicing for about two years now. Um, I got it back in to let's see 2018 may of 2018 and um but it it was difficult to find a job because i have a felony right <laughs> so, so and it doesn't matter that it's 20 years old people see that felony on your record and they are biased they make judgments um so it's it was difficult to find work um and but not only that, but I'm also in a program called the Health Practitioners Monitoring Program, which is a program for addicts who are medical professionals like myself, doctors, you know, nurses, pharmacists, people like us, who we're in a five-year program that, um, that monitors us for the, you know, while we're in the program and we go to group therapy and I get drug tested, you know, four times a month randomly and, um, and we're monitored while we're working. And so we have somebody, a site monitor that monitors what we're doing and checks on us and makes sure that we're okay to practice and all that. It's all about the safety of the patients, you know? And so, and so that's the, you know, the state's uh, most important thing when it comes to us and practicing. So that's why it's a long program. That's why it's five years. So that's also something, unfortunately, that a lot of employers do not want to deal with. Right. Um, when they see that you are in that program, they're like, nope, you know, um, UVA hospital is very, um, very forgiving and general, I mean, generally speaking, and they're very familiar with the program. They have a lot of people there in the program. Probably people don't know that, but there are a ton of people in the program at UVA hospital, but generally speaking, a lot of these other places around here are, you know, either they don't know the program and don't understand it, or they don't, they aren't really willing to get involved. And so, so I have a double whammy. I've got the program and I've also got a felony. So so it makes well, it difficult, but, but I've been practicing. I'm in a job I absolutely love. I'm in a long-term care center and, um, nice. and I, I absolutely love it. And, um, you know, so I'm really happy where I am right now and I couldn't be happier being, being back at work and practicing. It's, it's definitely what I was meant to do with my career. And I'm extremely grateful to be able to work again. So I never thought I'd, I'd be able to say that. So right. Very Besides grateful. going to meetings and the support system that you have through the hospital program, what else do you do to, to kind of stay positive and avoid a relapse? Well, um, I am a person who I am a, um, 
a rather hyperactive person and I am somebody who gets bored very easily and that is not good for somebody with my history. So I have to be, I have to manage to my time very well and I have to manage, I have to be productive all the time. I, I, and so I do a lot of projects and, um, I hike all the time. I, any days I have off, almost every day I have off, I hike, I walk, I run, I, um, I also do a lot of art projects. I like to paint. I like to do something called alcohol ink art. Um, I um, pottery, things like that. Um, I just have to stay busy. I love to cook. I love to read. Um, and, you know, I do occasionally like to sit my butt on the couch and watch some Netflix too. But, um, <laughs> but generally speaking, I try to do things just like today, managing this and stuff. I mean, I'm busy all the time now, which is really good for me. I have to be busy all the time, even especially on my days off. I mean, I work 12 hour shifts. I work a lot of hours, but on my days off, um, where a lot of people would rest and stuff, I, I don't do a whole lot of resting. Um, I just can't afford to, it's just better for me to keep going. And, and that's what, and that's what helps me in my recovery. That's what keeps me from relapse because sitting at home and thinking or sitting at home and and wondering this or thinking that now at this point, having the, the years that I have, I don't often, I don't have a lot of cravings and stuff like I did early on, you know, the first year or two, you have a lot of cravings. You have a lot of, there's a lot of vulnerable periods. Um, I couldn't go to certain parts of town because they were triggers. I couldn't be around certain people because they were triggers. I had to block people from my phone, from Facebook, things like that. Um, But I don't, now I have established a life where I don't come in contact with that kind of toxicity or that, those type of people that could trigger me or those types of events or things, um, that could trigger me. You know, I don't go to wineries and brew. I mean, I hated that stuff even when I was a drunk. So, but, (laughs) but I mean, I certainly don't do any of those kinds of things now, even when asked, just because it's just not, it's, you know, even though I don't, it's, I don't think I'm in danger at this point of using my life is good. I'm very, I'm very stable, but there's always a chance. So I, I don't take any chances. And so I, I, um, I just, I stay the course and, and keep moving and keep doing the, I have a, I'm very structured and I have a very structured routine and, um, and that really helps me candy to, to stay straight and keep on. So no, good for you. I, I completely understand the structured routine since I have ADHD and it's hard for me to sit still. Yes. Um, and yes. I have to have <laughs> feeling of productivity. Um, so you obviously got your driver's license back. Too, I did. Mm-hmm. So that makes it easier to get a job. Yes. Um, what would you tell somebody who's sort of gone is having the experience of an addiction and thinking that, their life will never get better. Um, do you have any advice or thoughts for them? Well, um, I tell this story to people sometimes, you know, despite having a great deal of support and people who loved me and hung in there during the really rough times and the bad times, um, there was about maybe a year before I got clean when my son talked to my father and said that he really wanted to you know, he wanted me and this is when my son was a teenager. He wanted us to get our own place. We wanted to, he wanted us to move out of my parents' place and get our own place so we can you know, have a place together, just the two of us and, and move on with our lives. And, 
and my father told him that um, that was never going to happen. And Ooh. dad, and my dad said, he said, your mom is not going to get better. He said, you're just going to have to, we're going to have to take every each day as it comes because mom, your mom's not going to get well. And so despite the fact that they supported me and loved me, they at some point started to doubt and question the fact that I didn't hear, I didn't hear this story until after I got clean. But the fact is, is that if my own father could say that about me, you can, people with my type of history can come back from the dead. Um, it is extremely difficult and it took, and it was getting clean was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. There's no doubt about it. There's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's also the most rewarding thing I've ever done. It would, I would not give anything to have the life back before I got clean because I was miserable then too. You know, looking back, I mean, my life now at the age of 52 is a thousand times better than it was when I was 25 and not using. So it's, so anyway, I had a lot of depression back then, a lot of anxiety, and I don't have that now. You know, I just don't. And um, I'm not saying that I'm cured or anything. I'm just saying that I, the life that I live, allows me to manage those kinds of things like anxiety and depression and sadness. And, and when things come up, I'm, I'm able to manage them better. Um, and I have better resources and I have better coping skills than I did back then. Well, so, I want to end it here because we're running out of time mm -hmm. and I think we should end on a positive note. And I want to thank you, Jaylee, for being on the show and being so candid with our audience. I think it makes a huge difference um, I don't know. We're going to help somebody today. I have a feeling by listening to you, our conversation, hopefully they will be motivated to change their life for the better. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast. You can follow Speaking Candidly with Candace on our website under the same name, and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Remember, every cloud has a silver lining. Thank you.